BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode today. Jason Gaddis is amazing and he has so much knowledge for you guys on how to go from conflict to connection and relationships and just how important it is and how it brings you closer ultimately. And I know you guys love our male guests and he's really so well-spoken. And I feel like it's hard to find a guy who represents well on the pod at least. And he's great. So I know you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into that, we're going to get into some questions from you about things. And But first, before anything, it's time to discuss the ultimatum. I binged this show like no other. I didn't even wait for Steven. I watched it while he was on a bachelor party savagely. I was just like, I got to do it. It's for work, you know, quotation marks. I mean, where where do we begin? So the show is, by the way, spoiler alert, feel free to skip ahead if you haven't watched it yet. The show is hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey, which we also learned a lot about through the show, apparently. But it's about different couples who one of them has issued an ultimatum to the other. So they go to wherever the fuck they are. I don't know. And they pair, they see if anyone else from a different couple would be a better match with them. I'm assuming they did some like background research to make sure that everybody was compatible with everybody, if that makes any sense. Maybe they looked into astrology. I don't know. And I still need to figure out all their signs. So we'll get to that. But all these couples, they date another person from a different couple. They see if they're a better match. And then they go back to dating their original partner. And then they decide if they want to still be with the original partner, if they want to marry them or break up, which is essentially what happens in an ultimatum. All right. So let's start with Alexis and Hunter. So Alexis is the one that gave the ultimatum. And they went on the show... And it seemed as if Hunter was just not connecting with anyone. No one was into Hunter, okay? And Alexis was like very much like wore her feelings on her sleeve. And she did not follow the rules. Absolutely not. She did not. And she basically was like not okay with the entire experiment, which was to date other people. She was like, I can't date other people Granted, she tried, but like no one was into her either. So I think ultimately, and I'm I'm saying this with love and truth, like they both realized that they were the best they could do and no one else was interested in them. 
And then Hunter decided to propose to Alexis after realizing that no one was going to love him the way that she does. And I don't know if that's sad or beautiful and amazing or what it is, but they're still together. So it worked for them. Definitely an exception to the rule, but also not sure if you even really need rules if there's no one else for either of you. You know what I mean? So I'm happy that they're together and they made it work. But I will say he made a comment that irked me in the beginning of the show where he was like, I'm just not ready to propose to Alexis. And then he was like, but if I met the right person, I'd be ready to propose tomorrow. Like, what? What? That just means you don't like Alexis. I mean, it worked out and they're together. So I don't know what happened there, but that was not okay to say. No. And also just shows that like, if he's going to propose to you, he will. Moving on to Lauren and Nathan. So they left. Okay. So right after this proposal happened with Alexis and Hunter, Nathan got down on one knee and proposed to Lauren. Their backstory, she does not want kids and he does. Ultimately, he decides that she's enough for him and kids are not necessary. So he proposes to her after Hunter and Alexis get engaged. And I think it was just like weird timing. It was like for sure scarcity mindset. He was just like, oh, I got to do this. Like, I don't know. And I think also just like you're in this weird situation that's like kind of scary and traumatic. And like, if you don't like anyone else in that pool, like you probably think you have to lock this person down. So he proposed, I don't advise getting engaged when you have a huge issue like kids that you haven't solved yet. Um, they're still engaged, but they're not married. So maybe that says something. Ray and Zay. I love that their names rhyme, match and rhyme. And Ray killed me when she was like, I'm the full package because I stay in the gym. I have a degree. I cook, I clean, and I know how to fuck. Like that was hysterical. Like go off girl. Love that. I think this was like a clear display of Zay really wanted Ray to like be more emotionally open. And like, he was like, I know you love me, but like you can't verbalize it. And that's like weird to me. So I think that's like a clear love language misconnection. Like they're just, they don't have the same, they don't understand each other's love languages. That's for sure. I also think that Zay is super immature. Like he's probably the most immature guy on this show. I don't remember his age. I want to say he's 26 or 24, but he is absolutely the most immature guy. He like cares about his Instagram and like, you know, is just not ready in any, he like wants to go out to like 3 a.m. Like he's just not the one for anyone right now. And apparently when Ray found out that Zay and Shaniqua slept together during their trial marriage or trial relationship, she was furious. And so they fought for many, many different reasons. And clearly they just weren't a match. And apparently Ray is now dating a woman. So good for her. Sometimes it's just necessary to like swear off men altogether, especially after a horrific experience like she must have had on that show with Zay. I did, however, think that her and Jake were cute together, which leads me to April and Jake. April is unapologetically herself. And I loved that about her. And I just think that Jake is like not ready to handle someone like 
April. And he also, you know, doesn't appreciate someone like April. And when you're a lot like April is, like I am, like many of us are, you need a man, not a boy, a man, if you know, you're looking for that kind of thing, who can handle every aspect of you. And Jake couldn't do that. They were clearly not a good match. And they broke up. And I'm glad that they did. And now apparently April is really happy with someone else. So that's great. On to Shanique and Randall. I absolutely love Shanique. She is my favorite character. Character. I mean, it's a reality show. She's my favorite person on the show, hands down. I feel like we would get along. She just totally knows herself. She's mature. She has boundaries. She has self-respect. I really love her. The only thing that I'm not obsessed with about her is the fact that she gave an ultimatum and therefore is on the show. I just like ate the mic. So sorry if you heard that. It was an accident. Anyway, I love Shanique. I actually really like Randall too. I think that he is like the most mature guy on the show for sure. Um, They're both probably the most mature people and the most mature couple. And yeah, I really like them. I think... So many thoughts are going to come into play when I tell you about how I feel about Madeline and Colby. Um, But I really, really love Shanique and Randall. Apparently, they broke off their engagement, but they're still very much together and happy. And that makes me really happy to hear. Okay, on to Madeline and Colby. I cannot stand Madeline. I'm sorry. And you know what? If she decides she wants to come on this podcast, I haven't reached out to her. But if she does, I want to talk to her about it because I, I feel bad saying that. But the truth is, she's just she's not my favorite. I have to I have to be honest with you and and with myself. Like she's just not. Um, I understand that she wasn't as into Colby as he's into her. And I actually love that. And I think that that's why they ultimately ended up working out, right? He's the one that gave the ultimatum. And that's where we want to be, ladies. We want to be in a position where the guy is giving the ultimatum, if anything, right? We don't want it to be the other way around. But Madeline is 24 and she clearly is not ready for marriage and a baby. Like, and now she has both of those things, which I really, I'm, I'm hoping that it works out for the best, but it is so clear that she was obsessed with Randall, literally would have done anything to have taken Shanique's man, like really, really wanted Randall. And she has a full on drinking problem. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but every time she drank, she was horrific like saying the rudest, craziest things, like such mean comments and just erratic. And then like, for some reason, Colby was getting blamed for like her behavior. I mean, granted he reacted to it and he shouldn't have. And apparently there was something about how he was with a girl until 3am, which was never really addressed. Either way, toxic, toxic. And they should not be together. She should be sober. And hopefully she is during this pregnancy time. And maybe that's better for them. I don't know. But was not a fan of Madeline. I thought she was so disrespectful to Shanique. And she just was not my cup of tea. And that was supposed to be one of a few different things I discussed, but we really got into it there. So those are my thoughts. I also think it was really interesting to learn about Nick and Vanessa and how they had taken a break and gotten back together. And I think bottom line is this show really 
tries to tell you that it's scarce out there and that you should have the scarcity mindset because if you don't accept X, Y, and Z about your partner, you're not going to find someone else. And guess what? You are. April did. And you know, other people did who ended up breaking up from that show. Like you don't have to be with somebody if you don't want to marry them or if they don't want to marry you. So instead of hitting them with an ultimatum next time, hit them with a goodbye and go find someone who appreciates you and loves you and treats you like the queen or king that you are because there are a lot of fucking people in this world. Anyway, excited for you to hear Jason. Mother's Day and Father's Day are just around the corner. And I'm sure your parents did so much for you as a kid. You know, they went above and beyond. Now it's time to return the favor by getting them Milk Bar. If you don't know what Milk Bar is, it is it was created by James Beard award-winning celebrity chef Christina Tosi. Plus, there's an amazing chef's table episode with Christina that you must watch if you haven't yet. She opened the first Milk Bar in 2008 and she's been wowing the world with her insanely delicious desserts ever since. She absolutely crushes it. Their birthday cake truffles are divine. They actually taste like party birthday, like joy. I don't even know. They're so freaking good. And they have strawberry shortcake truffles now too. I love their milk bar pie, which is made from like this toasted oat crunch with a gooey butter filling. It's like, oh, it's beyond. They have a compost cookie, which is kind of like a kitchen sink cookie. It's like everything around into a cookie. And for some reason, it just tastes like heaven. I actually tried making her corn cookie once and I have to tell you, it was the best. I ate one every single day, like that whole week and probably way more than one, to be honest with you. I'm obsessed with Milk Bar. Also, they have an amazing birthday cake. So if it's someone's birthday coming up, you got to check it out because we have a special limited time offer for you. You can get $10 off any order of $50 or more when you go to milkbarstore.com slash Acme. That's 10 bucks off an order of $50 by going to milkbarstore.com slash Acme. That's milkbarstore.com slash Acme. Get your mom something, get me something, get yourself something, get a bunch of things and put them in your fridge and just eat them yourself. Like that's that's living the life, you know? Milkbarstore.com slash Acme. I'm currently recording this on tax day, April 18th. And I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you. Like most of the time, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to money. No idea. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're partnered with Wealthfront because since partnering with Wealthfront for this podcast, I have learned so much. I don't know about planning for the long term. There are so many things that I regret not doing sooner now that I know a little bit about Wealthfront's long-term approach to investing. The secret to Wealthfront's performance is great software. It's built to make it easy, rewarding, and even delightful to build your long-term wealth. So you should 100% check it out. There's a reason that Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. Plus, Investopedia just named them Best Robo Advisor for 2022. You should definitely look into it, especially if you're someone listening to this and saying, 
I have no idea what to do with my money. I don't know how to build portfolios. I don't know what to invest in. I just, you know, like you got to check it out. You got to figure out these things and with help from Wealthfront. And you can get your first $5,000 managed for free for life by going to wealthfront.com slash Acme. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T.com slash Acme to start building your wealth today. Go to wealthfront.com slash Acme to get started today and show them that you came here from the podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with relationship expert, Jason Gaddis. Hey, Jason. Hey, what's up, Lindsay? Good to be here. What's up? I don't think I've ever seen anyone spell Jason like that. Is there a story behind it? Not really. My, I thought it was kind of cute and creative though of my parents to do that because they were going to pick another name. So mm. they, they went with Jason with a Y. Do they, did they want your nickname to be Jay? Jay Bird. I don't know if they wanted that, but that that ended up being the nickname is Jaybird. Love that for you. And Jason, how old are you and where are you from originally? I'm 49 and I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah originally. Born and raised. Very cool. I have to ask, were you raised Mormon? I was not. That's usually the second question I get. So mm-hmm. right on target there. Uh, no, but I, I grew up in the hood of Mormon land and had all my friends were Mormon. Every single, I was like the one kid that wasn't. And so I was the odd man out a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But your parents just, or your family never like subscribed to that? No, my mom grew up in the church and then she got excommunicated when she was a teenager because she wanted no part of it. Ooh. How come she, so she got ex- excommunicated and then decided she didn't want to have a part of it or vice versa? No, she decided she didn't want to be a part of it. And so they excommunicated her. And keep in mind, she, her family, her dad, my grandpa, one of his brother's dad was a polygamist. In the church. Mm. So I actually, in my family line, I have like a dude that had three wives. Wow. Wow. How do you feel about having three wives? <laughs> well, men, I think men claim they wouldn't mind that, but I, I, I'm i very fulfilled in my partnership and I don't, I think that would complicate the shit out of things. Yeah, for sure. It reminds me, my friend had this like poster in her apartment years ago and it was like, every woman needs four husbands or something. Oh, no, no, no. That's not true. I I ruined the punchline. I ruined the punchline. (laughs) Basically, it's like every man needs four qualities. It's like the man who helps out, the man who's like kind, the man who's smart, and then like the man who's financially stable. The only thing is these four men, these four men can't know each other or something like that. (laughs) That's Um, cute. Okay. So you're from Utah and you said you were in a partnership. So so what is your current relationship status then? Yeah, married, two kids. Uh, my kids are 11 and 13 and married 14 years together, 18 with a couple gnarly breakups in there. Oh, broke up and got back together. Twice. Sounds like so taboo for a relationship expert. We're going to have to unpack that a little <laughs> bit. Jason, when is your birthday? We're into astrology over here. I'm a cancer of July 21. Nice. So is my husband. And oh, when really? is your yeah, when's like your wife's he's July twenty first? No, no, no. He's July fifth. Oh, got it. And what was your other question? Sorry. Your wife, when is her birthday? She's a Leo, August. That's why you broke up and got back together. Cause th- that's a tough that's a tough pairing. But really? when it works, it's it's hmm. really it does work. So you just gotta put the work in, which I'm sure you know more than anyone else. So yeah. w- 
when you guys had broken up and gotten back together, what was the reason? By the way, side note, I had an astrologer during one of the breakups mm. tell me I was not supposed to be with my wife. Isn't that Whoa. bold? That is bold. And you know what that also is? A bad astrologer. <laughs> I um, agree. Because any astrologer or psychic that tells you you're not supposed to do something, anything negative, that you're going to die tomorrow, whatever it is, is bad. I like know. Those I think it's like so out of line. Yeah. Their role is to tell you the good and at least like say, do you want me to say something that might upset you before they say it? Yeah. Or at least be vague like, well, there's two stars conjunct Venus here and it could be kind of challenging for you. And then right. but it, you need to create a story about it, right? Exactly. Okay. So the first time you guys broke up, what was what was that about? My claustrophobia, feeling kind of trapped in a relationship that was good, really good actually, but I was coming up against my intimacy fears of engulfment and also worrying that I hadn't found the one and I was classic guy looking around for the grass is greener. Like no woman was kind of good enough back then, no matter how quote good she was, I found all kinds of ways to find fault, which is really just my fear and kind of a dodge is how I see it now anyway. Mm -hmm. And how old were you then? Was it, I'm assuming it was before marriage. 30. Yeah. We got together when I was 31, I think. Mm -hmm. Got mm -hmm. married at 35. Okay. And you obviously worked through that. You, I'm assuming you Ish. saw what's out there. Oh, okay. But you saw what's out there and you were like, okay, you know, I'm an idiot. She's amazing. Well, you know how I think a lot of your listeners might, it wasn't like that. It was more like we broke up and then we started seeing each other months later at events and different gatherings. And of course she looked sexy and mm -hmm. we had good chemistry and one thing led to another and we'd go home together. And so we, we started hooking up between, you know, as we were broken up and, and then that ultimately led us to getting back together. Mm -hmm. I would... So if if I were giving advice to your now wife at the time, I would say, be done. You're done, you know, no yeah. going back because I see things more black and white. But obviously, thank God that she did because now you have a wonderful family, it seems. And but there yeah. was a second time. So so what was that? That was when you were married. So about a year later, I think it was a year later. She'd have to correct me on this, but we were back in a relationship and I, I kept sort of wondering again, if the grass is greener. And also I wasn't really confronting my intimacy fears head on. I was sort of dodging and weaving and yeah, just distracted. And uh, we got back together. So we stayed together for, I, I, I want to say about a year. And then I was in a meditation community, a Buddhist community for a long time. And there was a woman there that I kind of had a crush on and I wanted to pursue that. And I let her know that. And meanwhile, this woman was with another guy. She was totally unavailable. So of course, I was I was choosing someone completely ridiculously unavailable that had no interest in me. But this again, this was just another way to try to get out of the relationship I was in because it was getting uncomfortable. Mm. Like a real relationship was pretty uncomfortable for me. And at what point did you change? And did you realize, if you have at all, that you know you want to be? monogamous, monogamy, monogam, you know what I'm trying to, monogamous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With this woman and start, 
you know, a life together and stop wondering what else is out there? Well, she had a big part in this. So about the time we broke up, I went on this month-long meditation retreat. It wasn't a full silent retreat, but two weeks of it were. And the after we broke up, she wrote me a pretty heated letter calling me out and um, just calling bullshit on me, basically. And when I first got the letter, I was really defensive. But as the month wore on, I had a month to sit with it because I wasn't talking to her. And I would pull it out from time to time. And by the end of a month, 30 days later, I felt like she was spot on with her assessment of me, that I was full of shit. I was afraid. I was running away. And between that, and then I went and saw a really skilled therapist who also challenged the hell out of me. And I just was like, I don't want to lose her. But the biggest factor actually was during that meditation retreat, she was doing her personal work and got really fucking clear that she was not willing to tolerate bullshit anymore from men, specifically me, and was like, I want marriage or I never want to talk to you again. And that line in the sand actually was really attractive to me because prior to this, because I had one foot in, one foot out, naturally she was a little insecure, right? Mm. Because she wasn't sure if I was going to like stay or leave. But when she found her confidence of like, fuck you, I'm, this is what I want. I was like, holy shit. It really pulled me in. And she left the door like barely cracked open for me. Would you say that what she did was an ultimatum or was it just, because like that's a, that's a touchy word, right? In, in relationships. And, and I think it has a really negative connotation. So would you say it was an ultimatum or would you say it was just her being like, I'm better than this shit and speaking up for herself? Yeah, it was more the latter. I think ultimatums are often done out of fear and they're, usually empty threats people make. This was like, she was just, you know, put her staff in the ground and I knew it wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, whoa, it was a very empowering position she was in. And I didn't feel like threatened by it. Yeah. I like that. And I actually, so the reason I asked the, to differentiate the two is because I, you know, I work with clients on dating consults, but then I also give advice to people who follow the podcast and I'm very anti-ultimatum. However, mm-hmm. I do think that if you're being taken for granted in a relationship, you have to leave because that's like, you know, that's almost the ultimatum without having to say this or that. It's like, show them that you won't tolerate that because yeah. people only get more of who they are as they get older, you know? And so like you yeah. let something go on for long enough and nothing's going to change. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true most of the time. And people, I'm mostly with you that, you know, it's probably a good idea to move on. And that, as you know, is a lot harder for some people than others because of Mm -hmm. finances or dependencies and kids and all sorts of complicating factors. People make it really hard. So I, I try to walk people toward that by saying something like having them say out loud to me, I choose to stay in this relationship where I'm not getting my needs met. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they have to keep, so they're not a victim to it, right? It's like, no, I'm choosing this every day. I, I choose to stay here. Mm-hmm. After last week's episode, I'm sure you've had enough about weddings. Like I, I, I'm sure you never want to talk about weddings again or hear about weddings again. And you know what? I don't either. I want to hear about single life. I want to hear about people who are living their most amazing single life. And part of being single is that 
you should be able to have all the privileges that anyone in a relationship does too, which is why Visible, the wireless service built for singles, has teamed up with Match Group, who are behind Tinder, Match, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, and other dating apps to create a gift registry just for singles. The gifts are tailored specially for single life, like a foldable one-person kayak or a wine glass that fits an entire bottle. Because why not? YOLO. The first 1,000 people to build their registry get a free gift. And you can do that too. Visible also has single people covered with sweet singles gifts, but also single line wireless as low as $25 a month. If you are single and you have had, frankly, enough of giving your married friends all of your hard-earned money, then you need to go to visiblesinglesregistry.com and start prioritizing you because that's how you get someone in your life anyway. Or maybe you don't want someone and you want to embrace being single forever because now you have a registry. Build your registry now at visiblesingleregistry.com. Visiblesinglesregistry.com. That is visiblesinglesregistry.com. Check it out. So you wrote this book and it's called Getting to Zero. And it is about relationships and conflicts and all of this. At what point did you realize or did you decide that you wanted to explore the relationship space for your career? What made you think that you could help people in in that way? A couple of reasons. I was a sensitive kid growing up and I was always tracking the kind of family dynamics as well as the social dynamics in all my circles of friends. I felt bullied. I felt left out. I felt all kinds of things growing up. And so I was just impacted by all of that kind of relationship pain. And then girls didn't like me back until college really. And I just couldn't figure it out. And then um, after I repeated, uh, my one of my friends gave me some bad relationship advice that worked. He said, when I was about 20 years old, I said, dude, I can't figure out girls. And he had, he could kind of have any girl he wanted. He was that type of guy. I said, what do you do? And he said, act like you don't care. And because I was so caring that that was actually a good move for me. I acted like I didn't care. And then all of a sudden, a certain type of insecure woman was into me, right? Well, I would date them for about 10 straight years, off and on different women. And I realized, and I, they all ended and I all, I broke up with all of them. And I was just very like longing deep down in my heart for like a real relationship but I didn't know how to get one. And I wasn't willing to admit that to them or anyone. I didn't know that like therapy or any tools, personal growth tools were an option. So I was just winging it, playing out my pattern. And um, I was just in a lot of pain. I was depressed and anxious. And then I figured out like, okay, I got to go learn about this. And I went to graduate school to study psychology and study relationships formally and study myself. So it was really pain. That's like, my mind is blown to hear that a, a guy told you act like you don't care because it's like so validating for all the girls listening right now. Like, you know, we, we're always told like guys don't play games. Like they're just like, they're into you or they're not. And like, that's a full game. Like that's it's a, a full-time full job. Yeah, yeah. That's full-time job acting like you don't care about someone. And it's just interesting to hear that, that other perspective. There's actually like this meme that I saw years ago that was like, you know, a guy giving a guy advice saying like, act like you don't care. And then the girl's like, yeah, like my dad died last year. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just taking it way too far, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah. it's obviously a joke, but it's, it's like that 
creates no intimacy, no vulnerability. But I think so many of us have been in that relationship where either it's like who whoever cares more loses mm. or or just one person trying to care less. And that's really hard. That's really hard. And so what did you start doing to let that like better those better relationships into your lives? And what do you recommend to the people that you work with? Yeah, well, I dove deep into psychotherapy. My graduate degree required 30 hours of psychotherapy as a client. So I was I was all in at this point because I was in so much pain. I was like, fucking whatever I got to do to change this about myself. Uh, so I, I did that. And I also I became a crisis worker. I, I just doubled down. I, I did external trainings outside the graduate program because I wanted to understand myself one program was pretty much group therapy for three years. Uh, I joined a men's group. I did lots of things to stare myself in the face and understand my patterns and kind of unwind and unpack all these strategies that were kind of bullshit and find out who I really was. So you did all that work and then- And continue to do that work, yes. And you continue to do that work. Thank you for clarifying because we're never done working on ourselves. I wholeheartedly believe that. So you're doing the work and then- you at what point realize I need to share this with other people and be helpful to others? Well, I was, I had a full private practice here in Boulder with a wait list and I was just seeing couple after couple after couple. And prior to this, I was working with adolescent boys, troubled adolescent boys and families. And I started zeroing in on relationships seemed to be the crux of all people's problems, mental health issues and everything. I was like, it seems like it's all trauma and relationships and how kids were raised and as I started to zero in on that, I started focusing on couples a lot. And then I got tired of repeating myself to all these couples where they say, here's your homework and they wouldn't do it. And they just come back in another fight the next week. And I was like, fuck, I'm really ineffective here. I need to come up with a different program. Meanwhile, I was running men's groups and I was seeing a lot better results in my men's groups because people that make an eight-week commitment or 12-week commitment have better results. They just, they're just more in student mode, right? Than band-aid mode. And then I decided, shit, I, and I was blogging about relationships. So I was already starting to blog and share my message on Facebook. And then I just decided I got really clear. I was like, I, I got to let go of my license here and go online and create a school because I got tired of complaining there is no school on relationships. So I just created one. And I knew that if people made a nine-month commitment, they'd get their ass kicked and they would learn and they would completely change how they show up relationally. And that's what happened. And that's so awesome that you did that. But at what point is it not even worth it to do the work because your relationship is just like something that you shouldn't be in? And like, how do you know the difference between I just need to do a lot of work and this relationship will work versus this relationship isn't working and it's not me, it's the match? Yeah, it's an important question because you know, you know as well as I do, right? That people stay and try to make something the work that isn't going to work. I was just talking about this, I think today on Instagram, that people using the analogy that people like try to drag their partner up to the top of the mountain, right? And when you're, when you feel like you're dragging someone to therapy or to the work or read this book or listen to this podcast or whatever, the other person most of the time feels inadequate, judged, criticized, not good enough. And that's their problem, but you're feeding right into it. And those relationships rarely, if ever, work when we're, you know, essentially the bottom, the punchline here is when we're trying to change our partner to be who we want them to be versus who they actually are. 
And you, all we have to look at is their actions day in and day out in a relationship to find out who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really tough to know if it is. And I just recorded an episode with someone who's going through a divorce and she was saying like, I thought it was everything else. Like the last thing I thought was wrong was my relationship. She was like, I tried to change, Mm. you know, I tried to work on my career. I tried to go to like therapy. I tried to do this or they do that. But the problem was actually the relationship itself. Because I think, as you said, with the mountain analogy, analogy, like nobody, nobody ever wants to think that that's what it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a scary thought. Why is that? I I think because like, that we equate that to like failure, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's like society is like two parts make a whole, like you have to have a partner. And, and so you're like, Oh, it can't be that. Like, that's what I'm supposed to have. And anything like, and veering off of that course, Mm -hmm. that's failure. And that's not, that's the last option. Yeah. I think people also purchase a fantasy about how relationships are supposed to be when you meet the one or find the quote right person, it should just all kind of miraculously work out. And I think people get a rude awakening in marriage in particular after three, four years, especially, and then you add kids and financial stress and COVID and it's all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit, this is, this is hard and this is not fun and this is uncomfortable. And, and I'm like, yeah, welcome to a real relationship. It's time to put some work in here and learn and be in student mode and, a lot of people don't want that. They want the fantasy and then they get pissed at themselves or the other person and compare and yeah, feel bad or deny like, oh, we're fine. And when they're really not fine. Yeah. What would your advice be to people in a long-term relationship, marriage, whatever, who just feel like, you know, I talk to a lot of people who have been in, or who are in, I don't know, six plus years of a relationship or a partnership and the only way that they can kind of recharge their batteries or like get a spark again is to like go on vacation together. Mm-hmm. But what can you do in your daily life? What can you do in your home? What can you do when you're not traveling to feel alive in that relationship? If you know everything about this person, you've had all the fights that you're going to have you've had all the sex positions that you're going to do, you know, it's like, what do you, what do you do? Are you kind of saying they're like, you're bored? Six yeah, years a little year. bit. Like Does you, that, just, you go to dinner and there's nothing to talk about anymore. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really sad. I think, I think people that claim they've tried everything. I don't, I don't think they have just take some MDMA or some LSD together. And you're going to find out that you don't actually know yourself or the other person very well. And you know, there's an opportunity to like, always to be curious about who this person is and where they come from. And, and conflict to me is, is always the doorway into these harder conversations or scarier. But if a person's claiming they've already, yeah, been there, done that. I, I just don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy it. What if they're sober? What difference does that make? No. Cause you were like, just take some MDMA or. Oh or yeah. Well, that was sort of tongue in cheek. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Psychedelics will certainly, you know, uncork something most likely, but if you're not into that, there's a lot of things you can do. You can actually decide to put yourself in stressful situations and see what comes out. Go on a long travel trip together, not a vacation, but go on, go travel, get your backpacks on, sell all your shit 
and hitchhike across Thailand or something. Like do something, mm-hmm. you know, out of the box that's going to push you to find out who you are together and alone. And I guarantee you're going to find out more about this person. Yeah, I love that suggestion. But what if you have kids who are new, like newborn kids or under two? It's like, and you feel like all you're talking about is like the bottles and the changing and the, you know, it's like, what do you do in that scenario where you feel like there's been this shift, like we just had babies or whatever it is, you know, how do we not talk about this all the time and like go (laughs) back to like talking about like fun stuff. Totally. And this is, you know, having a, I don't know, do you have kids? I don't know, but a bunch of my friends do. But you know the deal, right? It's like Mm. that, that's really common is like fucking logistics all day long about the kids, right? right? My wife and I, for example, we go on a date, we have date night every week and it's like, cool, we can talk about the kids for the first 30 minutes and then after that we're done. Mm -hmm. It's about us, you know? But Again, I still think this couple, those types of couples I find are watching Netflix at night. They're not, they're, the books they're reading are books to take, get a break, like checking out books, kind of vacation books, instead of books that actually push them to grow and look at themselves in the mirror, like a psychology book or like this book I'm, I wrote or something that's going to actually help them hmm, start to get curious about themselves. And that's hard to force on someone. It's like you're either into growth, the kind of growth development stuff, or you're not. And pain usually brings people on that path. And so people that are kind of coasting along in logistics and you know diapers, and that's all they talk about, my guess is they're not pushing themselves to talk about the other things that are probably harder, more interesting, more conflictual. Yeah. I feel like so personally attacked by the vacation books because literally all I do <laughs> is read like murder. Like, oh my God, you do? Yes, I love my murder oh, books. I wow. really do. Murder Like mysteries. Stephen King shit and, and stuff like that? No, not even that like, not even that intelligent, like really, really dumb murder <laughs> mysteries. Okay. Like that's so on awesome. like a, on a vacation spot, you know? But, but I will say when I do read an article, let's say that makes me think a little bit more or a book, I immediately am turning to my partner. What do you think about this concept? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it does immediately spark those conversations. So it is really, that is really good advice. I'm going to ask some of our listener questions that they wrote in for you. One person asked how to know when couples counseling is necessary to save your relationship. If you are winging it and you can't get to the other side of difficult conversations on your own, it's time to hire an outside facilitator to help you. Somebody said feeling very emotionally unavailable months after a breakup. How to fix this? Look your closest friends in the eye and say, I feel numb. I feel stuck. I feel kind of dead inside. I feel emotionless. Say whatever's true and start getting the feedback from your friends, like what that's like to be with you and see if, just be curious about the impact when you're like this, what's the impact on your closest people? Are they kind of triggered by it? Are they compassionate and understanding? Are they feeling like, yeah, I can't even find you. you you seem lost. Where are you? Like it, relationship is one of my favorite tools to use like an intimate, close, like honest conversation to kind of wake up out of something or to see ourselves more clearly. So 
I'd recommend that. I'd recommend also psychedelics again, <laughs> but I'd, re- I'd recommend some kind of therapy or coaching that will help you get in your body and get in touch with your experience, your felt experience. And if you can't get it at that, I think group experiences are cool. Like you go to one of our events at the relationship school, you go to a landmark forum, you go to, you go to something that's going to Tony Robbins event. You're going to get something that's going to actually like get you moving in your body and get you feeling some kind of experience with other people Mm -hmm. dancing. You know, there's, there's lots of ways we can uncork and unlock sort of our emotions and to kind of get in ourselves a little more. So you wouldn't recommend getting back into dating? If I did, I would say be honest because you you want to attract the kind of person that is authentic. And so if you're being authentic, like, hey, I, I kind of feel emotionally unavailable and you're on your third date, that's honest. I want to be in a relationship with someone who's honest, not someone who's posturing over their emotional unavailability, pretending like everything's great when I'm like, wait a minute, it feels like there's two people here. What's going on? Right. Yeah. I always say to like immediately get back out there and that when you're emotionally unavailable, it's the best time to date because you're only going to fall for someone who's like really great. Um, (laughs) Okay. And also like guys are definitely more attracted to emotionally unavailable than, than to very available. Not necessarily mature guys are the guys you want, but general. Wait, 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 say that again. I missed that. I want to make sure I got that. I think guys are more attracted to women. Like men are more attracted to women who are emotionally unavailable for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean. Oh, no way. Really? Not, I not, mean, you're not talking that about men like- are attracted to emotionally unavailable, but men are more intrigued when you're not like all over them. And oh. possibly has that could have to do with being emotionally unavailable. It could. I, I feel like that could be a different issue, though. It could be that that woman doesn't want to come across as needy, clingy, too sensitive, too emotional, etc. But a woman, there's nothing sexier than a woman in her body who's emotionally literate to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're a cancer. <laughs> I'm also an embodied guy that worked hard to get here. And I, I'm, I don't, I'm not that interested in emotionally unavailable people anymore. It's kind of boring. No, totally. I think I think just like when you're first out the out the door from the breakup and you just want that like attention and you just want that, you know, to know that like you're wanted, that is a good that's a at yeah, least for, for me, for my experience, mm-hmm. like it's it makes me feel better to get right back out there. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Somebody asked, how do I repair with my significant other when he goes silent and won't talk? I apologized already for my part. Well, he's probably more on the avoidant attachment spectrum, which we don't need to necessarily label him that to his face, but we can understand human behavior and attachment science and we can go, hmm, his nervous system is going into a threat response and this is his default setting. Mm -hmm. So if he's not aware of this and he doesn't want to become aware of this, it's a problem. If he's not aware of it, but is interested in your feelings and the impact on you when he goes silent, that's good news. You've got a good partner there. And really, it's we all do some version of this. Some of us blame, some of us shut down, some of us go silent, some of us slam the door, some of us, you know, get really anxious and clingy. We all have our thing under stress. And a good couple learns that about their partner, learns that about themselves, and they learn as a team how to work through those um, patterns together. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Somebody asked, why do men always come back and do second chances ever work? I guess <laughs> for you, they did second and third. <laughs> they did for me. 
Why do men always come back? That's interesting. I don't know if it's gendered quite quite as gendered like that, but it might be. But why do we could say why do people come back and should we give people a second chance? I I'm into again actions, right? So some people come back and they talk a big game like I promise I'll never do that thing again or I've stopped drinking or I'm I'm into Jason's book or I'm into Lindsay's podcast. Like hell yeah, okay, I'll listen finally. But people can't fake it for more than a couple of weeks. It's pretty hard to fake it, I think. Especially mm-hmm. if you already had one chapter of your relationship. You kind of know their shtick and their deal, especially if it's been longer than a couple of years. So if they come back and they want back in, just watch closely for like a month and you'll see their their commitment wane. <laughs> right. If it's disingenuous. But you came back and it wasn't disingenuous. That's right. I mean, I came Except back, especially the, the, time. the second time I was like, I want marriage now. And then I was like, I want kids now. And she was like, whoa, slow down, tiger. Like, uh-huh. you know, she wasn't ready for kids. And I was like, game on. And I haven't mm-hmm. looked back since I put two feet in. I, I was just crystal fucking clear. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know if it's love bombing or real? Somebody asked. What is define? Let's define love bombing. So love bombing, it's like a very trendy, um, topic right now it's basically like when a guy is like you know oh my god like you first meet and he's like oh my god i love you like i want to like you're like i want to marry you and blah 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 and like just all in very quickly and then over it very quickly and kind of like you know discards you yeah so what's the question what do i think of that how do you know if they're doing that or if they really just like really like you really quickly yeah. Okay. Well, there's a distinguished, I think the distinguishing feature here is, is again, consistency over time. So if I'm love bombing you because we just met and I'm just like, I fall, quote, fall in love with you or fall for you. And I'm infatuated with you, which seems means I'm going to see more upsides and downsides to you. Cause I haven't, I don't really know you. That's what happens in a new relationship. And a, I guess love bombing would be, again, it, it's not going to last. Like mm-hmm. if we tease that out from just normal falling in love, Usually that lasts, you know, two to 12 months. Someone can be really, really into someone and want to move in and like, this is what we're doing. And it happens over many months. It seems like to me, love bombing is, can't sustain that amount of time. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, we're going to play this fun game. We do these poll questions on my Instagram and they're rapid fire. So it's really like, more or less a yes or no answer. Yeah. So you can answer, but you can't really elaborate. Your significant other, so think of this, I guess, from the point of the woman in this case, goes to a strip club and gets a nude lap dance. Is that cheating? Yes or no? Yes. Wow. Did not expect you to say that. I don't think it's cheating. If there was communication around it. Okay. So yeah. like if if my husband's like, I'm going to the... Not that my husband would ever do this because he's just yeah. not that type of guy. But if he was like, I'm going to the strip club tonight, like with the boys, then I'd be like, okay, cool. Here are the boundaries, you know? And, yeah, that, and if, yeah, and if I was like, and you can get a nude lap dance, then or like, I'm fine with that. Then it's, I don't consider it cheating. Yeah, there's consent there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you rather cheat or be cheated on? Probably cheated on because I haven't had that experience. I'd want to learn about myself there. Interesting. Okay. Would you give someone who ghosted you a second chance if they came back? Yes or no? Ooh, 
I want to so explain myself on this one. So I'm going to say unlikely. Okay. Are you serious with someone after the eighth date? At my age, yeah. Is it a bad sign if you think you're smarter than your partner? Yes or no? No. This is a good one for you. Is it your partner's business what you did while you were on a break or broken up? No. Is it unwise to tell someone you love them when you know that they're not there yet? No. Okay. And last one. Is there always a reacher and a settler in partnerships? No, but there's always a seeker and avoider. Well, since you broke the rules of the game, you now have to explain that. (laughs) Nice. I, I sucked you in. Reacher and what was the other one? Avoider, you said? No, but what did you say? You said reacher oh, oh, and... reacher and settler. Settler. Yeah, I've never heard those terms, so that's interesting. I'd have to get to know those terms. But seeker and avoider is attachment science stuff language. Under stress, usually people either go toward connection or away from it. And that's just just look at that in your own marriage. Or there's usually someone who initiates the repair after a conflict. There's usually someone who's avoiding the repair after a conflict. That's very common. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, but but like two, both people can't be one of those. You could, uh, but it's still going to polarize over time. So let's say we have two avoiders. If they partner and neither of them want to kind of quote, talk about it, but it's a lot of silence for many days. Some, one of them is going to come forward and try to resolve it. Yeah, that makes sense. Amazing. Jason, it's been so great to talk to you. We usually end our episodes with a quote or piece of advice. So maybe it's something that's from your book or something that has just helped you that you want to share with our listeners that can help them. Yeah, for sure. So we didn't talk much about secure relationships, but I define that as it's a safe harbor and a launching pad when you find this person. So you get beat up by life. It's a place you go recover. That's the partnership. And they also have your back, you know, when you want to go jump out and try something new, they, they're there with you. That's a secure partnership. That's built actually through the conflict repair cycle. So to the listener, don't see conflict coming up in your relationship as a bad thing. It's always an opportunity. And if you can get really good at the repair part of the conflict process, meaning I'm sorry, hey, here's my part. I can see it. the impact on you was and lots of different tools like that. You're going to create security over time. Because the person, the message you send is, you can trust that I will come back and make it right again. I love that. I love that. And no conflict is is bullshit. Not good. Yeah, it's yeah. bullshit. Agreed. Thank you for validating that. I'm going to go start a conflict with my husband and <laughs> tell him I have to. Nice. Jason, where can everybody find you, follow you, and read your book? Yeah, so it's at Jason Gaddis, Jason with a Y, on Instagram. It's my Instagram handle. I'm pretty active there. The book and the podcast, you can go to gettingtozerobook.com. We'll we'll lead you to our website, our podcast, and a conflict quiz. You can learn your conflict style if you want um, to understand yourself a little better there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. 